So something different again on this episode. We're going to be talking to Dave A, who is a client of mine. He's a current client. We've been working together for, I think, about a year. Um, and he's now managed to achieve a place, a stable place that works for him. This is a proper Manchester interview. Um, as a lifelong Manchester United supporter, I'm here talking to a, a lifelong Manchester City supporter. Uh, so we have a laugh with that. But it's everything really that we cover from his past and his upbringing, uh, the issues in his life, um, the important people in his life, what he tried to do to recover and how how he struggled with that, what it was like then to come into the A2R treatment and how different this was and how he coped with this approach and how it's worked for him. And now, you know, we also talk about the future and what that holds for him. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's David. So I want to start... Uh, Definitely saying thank you for doing this. My pleasure. And I want to start by asking you just about yourself, your background. Okay. Where you were brought up and what your life was like. Um, good question. Um, you were local. So, yeah. So I was brought up in Cheadle. Um, Mum and dad, pretty messy mm. relationship. Mum, mum had addiction issues. Dad had addiction issues, but for diff- not for chemicals. Mm. Like he was born again Christian. Mm. Business failed. Um, the similarities between my life and my dad's life, I find quite ironic because he left us when I was six, and I walked out of my marriage when I was six. When my my son was six, mm. sorry. Mm. Um, but I've done everything I can to to see my, my children, whereas my dad mm. just disappeared. Um, my mum pretty much brought myself up mm. because my mum was bedridden through alcoholism and uh, barbiturates and she was taking a lot of pills. And so I was coming home from school and my mum would just be flat out. And you look after yourself? Yeah. Um, and my sister looked out for me as well. But my sister left as soon as she could. She left. She's not lived in the UK since she was sixteen. She's mm. fifty-two now. Mm. Um, so, and, and my sister. Was she all, became a therapist. She's a psychotherapist. Yeah. Mm. Um, and my sister was always like, "We didn't have the best childhood," and I was always like, "Do you know what? Life could have been worse." You know, I was lucky enough to have my best friend, uh, his father Raj was a better father to me than my own father. Mm. Um, sadly passed away last year. Yeah. Um, but huge influence in my life, Raj. He was, mm. like, a very successful guy, just so loving. You know, I, used to, I basically lived with him from the age of 13 to 21. You know, mm. I wouldn't go home. Um, so, yeah, it was quite a dysfunctional household that I grew up with. I mean, my dad, we used to... I mean, one story, which I'm going to put this in my book, actually. Mm-hmm. He, um, I came down one day and it, it turned the TV around to face the wall. And I was like, what are you doing with the telly? And he went, the devil's talking to you through that. And he was he was obsessed with his religion. This is born again stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, another thing he did, um, 
which I just, I can't imagine doing, was when my, my sister's 18th birthday. She had a big party in the garden. Um, and my dad's turned up. We've all, we've not seen him for a year. And he'd turned up with all his born-again Christian followers oh. in a minibus with Jesus' army written down the side. Yes. So, sort of like some sort of evangelical A-team. And they all jumped out of this bloody minibus. I mean, it's funny, David. I wrote about him, Rio. And he jumped out and he started pamphleting his own daughter's party. Oh, wow. I mean, no wonder she left the bloody country. <laughs> so that's kind of where my father was at. Um, my mum was just... My mum just tried to cope the best she could and just took to her bed. But when you talk about Raj, um, you know, I identify with this idea of having a real diamond in your life. Oh, yeah. Of having somebody that... that you know, when when you come into recovery, when you come into a better lifestyle, that's a big part of the connection of you, of you knowing what what it looks like, what what a good life looks like. Yeah, and you don't always get that from your family, but you get it from somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I can remember I was lucky enough, like Raj found out about what I'd gone through, and it was possibly one of the toughest conversations I'd ever had because I was so because I hold Raj above my own parents mm. um, and he was just he was just so I won't say non-complicit but he was just like doesn't matter what you've done what, you've, what you're going through mm. I love you and you're my son you know I treat you no different to Kevin mm. and Paula you're my son and it was just to have that it was you know and I broke down on him um and it was always there for me. He'd always stick 20 quid in my pocket as a kid. You know, he'd always... There's a story when... When Kevin first passed his driving test, we were driving around, getting stoned, like, like kids do. Mm. And this, it wasn't our fault. And this car hit us. And it was his little... Wow. He had a, a place in Chul, uh, Cheetah Mill. It was printers and stationers. Mm. And uh, it was his little company car, RK Products. Mm. And a uh, car was written off. I can remember him turning up to the crash scene. He didn't even look at the car. He walked straight past the car and was like, "Are you two okay? The car can be replaced. Mm. You can't." And he was—he was just wow. such a lovely man. Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, and I'm lucky I had him in my life. See, so because if, without him, him, yeah, I don't know where. I'd, That's the point. I'd probably be in prison, or God knows where I'd be. That's the point. He kept me on the straight and narrow, mm. without a doubt. He used to bollock me left, right and centre when I did something. But rightly so. Yeah, it's it's about doing things the right way. Yeah. And you see it and somehow it stays with you. Even though you go off the track or whatever, somehow that's that's well, he, he always got a summer job because he knew everyone in Cheetah Mill. I mean, I did, I did a summer job at his mother's place and it was like, it was packing handbags. Mm. And cheat them all like sticks up to you know for the showrooms, putting bits of plastic in them. It's one of the best jobs I ever had. It was a screen. It was an absolute, it was a screen. We got half an hour break all day, but we had a right laugh. It's one of the best jobs I ever had. It shit his pay. Yeah. But yeah. he always used to sort you out with stuff like that. And he's like, you've got to earn your money. <laughs> you've got to earn your money. You've got to graft. So do, so do you think you got some of your business sense? Oh, without a doubt. Mm. Without a doubt. Mm. I don't know where I'd be without Raj. Mm. 
you know, I'm lucky enough that I'm in a position now where I have money. Um, but it wasn't always like that. Grew up skin. Mm. And Raj was always the man who was like, get your pennies, put them away. Mm. Don't be a dickhead. Mm. And he was, he was such a guiding light for me. Mm. So, even though we have this stuff in our lives, and I've got a couple in my life who I could point to, that it, it can't stop us from going off the rails. No. So when, where did you see yourself going that way? Um, I was thinking about this. When you sent the questions through, I was thinking, how do I answer this? Because I've always been a recreational drug user. Mm. Um, but it was never a problem. Mm. It didn't take over. It wasn't, you know, I could function. When I, um, like I said, I was writing about this this morning, mm. had the breakdown, I didn't see it coming. It was, I was in this lifestyle of what everyone was, you know, I, I even had a good friend of mine say this to me. He's like, what, what have you got to be, you know, down about? Mm. You know, you've got success. Yeah. You've got two beautiful kids. Mm. You know, you've got how you've got a lifestyle. You travel the world. Mm-hmm. None of it matters. No. You know, I was in a business. I mean, we had two hundred staff. Mm-hmm. We turned over ninety million pound. Mm-hmm. We sold fifty percent of the business for six and a half million. Mm-hmm. We popped trials at six and a half million pound. More than I, you know, ever imagined. But I was still deeply unhappy, and I. When the mental health issue started, um, I just didn't see it coming. It, it, it's like someone hitting you from the side of the head, you know, coming from behind and giving you a right hook. It just came out of nowhere and I couldn't cope. I just, I was terrified because I didn't know what was going on. Mm. You know, I was, um, I couldn't make decisions. I can remember being in Sainsbury's with a, trolley full of food and having to get out of there because I couldn't cope. I didn't know what I wanted to buy. Mm. I remember being in a post office and all I could hear is cashier number four and I had a panic attack and I've never had a panic attack in my life. And it was... There wasn't sort of one trauma... You know, if your parents die or you're in a car crash... You can point to it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if there's an occasion or an event that happens and you go, that is why I became ill... It wasn't like that. No. It was, my life was going along swimmingly. Like mm. I say, I had no money problems, mm. you know, two beautiful kids. Mm. Um, and it just, and this, I think that made it worse because I had nothing to blame almost. Like I say, if I'd fallen down the stairs or been hit by a bus or mm. my, my mother died, I could go, that's why I'm doing this because of that. And I had no excuse. Yes. You know, what did that What did that do that you had no excuse? How did that affect you? Confuse me. Really confused me. All, all I wanted to do was... If I could have had a reason to, to pull it on, mm. it would have made... It would have made... I don't know, maybe it wouldn't, but it felt like it would have made it a lot easier to deal with. Because... The confusion, I was yeah. like, why am I feeling like this? Why am I not in control of my own mind? 
Why am I so scared? Why am I frightened? Why is my daughter asking me every day, are you feeling better, Daddy? And I'm bursting into tears. You know? You know it's something that I, 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 in one way or another, I deal with it every day, that this idea, you know, it's natural to ask why. It's natural to want to know causes and roots. Um, but ultimately, I'm not sure how much it helps us. You can know that stuff. I've, I've, you can go to a psychiatrist for years and work out exactly the root of everything, and I'm not sure what it does for you. I don't. I honestly don't think I'll ever get to the bottom of how it happened. No. I, I just won't. No. Because it, it, like I said, I was in a position of. There's a there's a video I always watch, and it's uh, Tyson Fury about yes. you know the deeds, uh, Deontay Wilder fight when he gets up when he's not down. Yes. And he just shakes himself up and he's like, he was in a position of, you know, he's the world heavyweight champion in the world. He's got millions and millions of pounds, success, beautiful family. He could just stay down. And he just wanted to crash his Ferrari into a bridge. Mm. And he said he can't explain it. And it's, and that's, that's the power of it. That, and that's what I find fascinating because, you know, on paper, everyone's like, you know, I'm reasonably healthy. Mm. Not bad looking, mm. <laughs> um, you know. All you know, successful, blah 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 blah. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter yeah. until until you go through it. Mm. Um, and I still don't understand it. I still. Well, all I can say from my experience, I've been I've been working intensely in this field now for. Well, I qualified in uh, in two thousand, and. You know, for, certainly for the last five or six years, I've been working intensely with people, and I've uh, I've worked with Premiership footballers, Premiership rugby players, people who have their own TV program, people on tour, uh, imme- you know, immensely successful people in their own field. So I know as well as anybody that it does not help you. No, if you if you're not happy, if you're not satisfied, if you're struggling and in distress. That stuff doesn't help you. But then there's another there's another thing off the back of that because it's because of my upbringing. You know, we grew up skin. We never had any money. Yeah. There's a there's a part of me that is like, what's wrong with you? Why why are you why are you depressed? You're saying the same thing. Yeah. Saying. Yeah. A part of you saying. Yeah. Why mm. am I depressed? Because. I've got everything mm. that I ever wanted. I, I I remember saying to myself when I was a kid, I am never going to be poor. I'm never going to drive. And it there's, drove there's me. There's the drive, yeah. 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 So I get what I ultimately think is going to make me happy. Mm. And then I'm suffering with illness, mental illness, whatever. But then there's a part of me that's going, you've got no right to, mm. to feel like this. Yeah. You know, so mm. it's it's cash twenty two. You can't until you acknowledge it, and that's the stuff we've done. Mm. You know, acknowledge the part and go. Do you know what? Of course, you are. You're a human being. So you've created the success, your drive, everything. You've got the business, you've got the family, you've got the lifestyle. Uh, things start to go wrong. Mm-hmm. So the next thing I'm really interested in is what what did you try to get yourself out of it? What I didn't really, um, well, obviously I turned to drink and drugs. Um, and then the, the turning point was, because my sister's a psychotherapist, mm. we had, I had a call with her and I said, I'm, I'm struggling, I don't know what to do. Um, 
I feel like I'm losing my mind. I actually thought I was losing my mind. Yeah. So she recommended this place in Oxford, uh, Kyron House, which is a, it's a Harley Street clinic, but it's their re, uh, countryside residence. Mm. I had a Zoom call with them, and within 24 hours, I was sat in, a, in Oxford with two psychiatrists. Yeah. So it was an emergency admission, and they recommended I stay there for two months, which I did. Um, and I, I don't know if... I think I think with everything that I've done, like rehab-wise, mental health-wise, I've took something from it, and it's all part of my journey. So mm. I have to, rather than resent it, I have to go, do you know what? I took a lot from that. Mm. Um, even, I don't know what, but mm. I do know that it did some good, but it was... That was one of the hardest things. That car drive down Oxford, um, my mate took me, took me in my car, and I, I just remember going, I don't want to go. I, I just don't want to be here. No. Um, but I did the work. But when I came out, I was a different person. You know, and that's when I realised that I was in the wrong marriage. I didn't want to be in this lifestyle of mm. hobnobbing with all these millionaires and talking not it's just not me and I realised I wasn't happy in my life mm. so I mean when I went in they said basically my nervous system had crashed mm. completely I was an absolute shallow person um, and when I came out I felt I felt amazing but I relapsed after two days because my life hadn't changed you know, my circumstances hadn't changed. I you know, when you go to rehab or a clinic, you're in a bubble. Mm. That's why I don't think rehab works. Mm. You stick me in a hotel for a month, I won't touch a drop. Mm. But put me back in my life where I've got the stress of this and that. And um, I, I personally don't think rehab works. I mean, it works for a lot of people, but for me... The, the, th- the thing, if you look at the, the basic theory of rehab, is that we take someone out of their real life because that's too much and we give them a break, we, we wrap them in cotton wool, we, we give them a chance to really reflect on things and do some transformative, cathartic sort of work. In practice, it, it doesn't work as well as that mm. because generally speaking, the big problem is that you've taken someone out of the real life, you've taken away the pressures and they just because they're human beings, they tend to put their feet up and think, I'm doing all right, because they don't want to drink anymore. You know, it goes away, like just like you said, and they think they're doing great, but they really, they're not. Mm. So they under they underestimate the problem. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously I'm just talking from my experience. I mean, I know rehabs were from, like, like Simon, I was chatting to yesterday. I mean, he's two years clean. Yeah. Um, and it worked for him. Yeah. You know, AA works for him, CA works for him. Didn't work for me. Mm. So, um, so you tried the fellowship. Yes. So you re- so you come out of that place. You relapsed after two days. Mm-hmm. And what did that tell you? What did you think about that? Very, very disappointed with myself. Very scared. You know, I remember I was. <sighs> Doing so much drugs, mm. you know, just throwing cocaine at myself. Um, 
you know, I've got, I've got two small children. Mm. Um, very ashamed. Wife kicked me out, rightly so. Didn't help matters because then obviously I can, I'm free to do whatever I want. Um, just a mess. Just, you know, lost the business, lost my wife, run out of the family home. Um, so it's, it's, the whole thing's unwinding, unraveling. Oh, it's like the perfect storm, almost. It was like anything that could go wrong did go wrong. Um, but the problem is when you're using, you don't think, oh, it's, this is the reason why it's gone wrong, because that's the cure, almost. Yes. I'm yeah. like, this is going tits up, so I'm going to do more cocaine. I'm going to drink more. Right. Actually, if I just stop doing that... No. Do you know what I mean? No, it, it is one definition, a pretty good definition of, of addiction is when the problem and the solution become the same thing. Yeah. The, the, the thing that is your solution now becomes your problem and it's you can't get away from it. Yeah, I mean, the, the amount of times I'd just be like, please don't do it. You know, when I first relapsed, when I came out of um, Oxford, I sat in my office and I had a bottle of vodka and two grams of cocaine and I looked at it for an hour and was like, please don't do this. <laughs> please don't do this. And it was just, you know, I could describe to you like Tom and Jerry, with the yeah. devil and the angel on your shoulders. Yeah, yeah. And I was powerless. And I know to say that in AA and I hate saying that because I'm not a big fan of AA, but... And it's an issue, you know, I think you've got a choice. But you can be overwhelmed. Yeah. And I was overwhelmed. And I just thought... I just can't deal with it. I just can't cope. Mm. And the easiest thing for me to do is just get obliterated yeah. and face I, the consequences exit. later. Yeah. yeah. And that's what I did. Yeah. On so, so many occasions. Um, and every time you do it, things are slightly worse. Oh, the damage, the damage I've caused. I mean, I was calculating this the other day. I mean, I must have... Not only in monetary, but I know I've lost countless friends. Um, probably 10 grand's worth of damage to my car, mm. my apartment. Um, that can be replaced. Mm. But it's the, it's the friendships that, you know, that I've damaged. And the, 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 the damage that I, I feel like I might have done to my children... Um, You know, that's that's hard to take. But that said, I'm doing a lot better than I was. Mm. Um, and it's it's like what I was saying to you before, I mean, it's... When I was writing about um, going to Oxford, mm. if that was six months ago, the shame and the guilt would have been overwhelming. Mm. And now I'm not all right with it because... But I accept it. There's a difference. I go, do you know what? Yeah. I, went in, I went into a, a, an institution because I had to. Mm. And it's, a, it's how I, it's what I do from here on in, not what's gone on. And that, that's a big problem for me with mental health and addiction. And that's why the addiction works, because it takes you away from that. Mm. You know, it's I can't deal with that. You can remove yourself. Yeah. Temporarily away from it. 
and now is all that matters. And now I go, do you know what? Mm. That was bad. But I've got some, I've met some of the most amazing people in recovery. Um, and I hold my hands, I hold my hands up now. I tell everyone, you know, do you know what? Yeah. I've messed up. I've done a, you know, but like I said, it's how, and this is the work that we've done. It's the, acceptance is the massive word for me. Mm. But accepting something is not agreeing with it. So, you know, you're saying you, ex- you accept that these things happen now, but it's, you, know, you know that accepting it doesn't mean you say it's okay. No, uh, yeah. Then that, was, that was a big thing for me mm. because it was... I always struggled with the, the concept of... Because it was like I was, I was dismissing it. Yeah. If I accepted it, yeah. I'm dismissing it. That's the modern version of the word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, no, you need, to, you need to feel the shame and the guilt. and Sure. So that was that was massive for me. I'm not dismissing it, but I accept it. So what was it like to go to things like the fellowship meetings and feel like you had to be there, feel like you had to try That's exactly it. and do this stuff? It was that was exactly it. It was kind of like, right, you are you are this person. Therefore, you need to go with these people. You're not an individual. No. You know, I'd go on a meeting every morning. You'd been categorised. Yes. Labelled. Um, and it was the same shit every day. You know, and I, I just I just never got it. I just... I know, I know I know lots of people it's worked for and good for them, but for me, I'd just be on these meetings going, I don't understand this. Mm. You know, you know, this is a disease. You're the, it's, it's not a disease, it's a mm. choice. Mm. I chose to escape from my life. I don't need a big blue book that was written in 1930 to tell me, mm. you know, you've got an illness, you're... Because it's a cop-out for me. Mm. You're not responsible for... I hold my hands up. Mm. I chose to... I chose to ring the drug dealer. Mm. I chose to drink and drive and crash my car. I chose to get arrested... Well, I chose to get arrested, but, you know... Well, it's the consequences. The consequences, Yeah. But how long did you sit in meetings like that, trying to fit in? Do you know what? With the meetings, um, and this, again, was... I felt like... I just felt like I didn't fit in. And I felt really bad because I'm like... And all people say is, if you don't get this, you will die. You, you'll die and, you, you know... You're, you're not trying hard enough. You know, you're not doing this, you're not... Yeah. And I was like, I was, I was scared. Yeah. Well, it's a scary position to be in. I was shit scared because if I'm in a meeting with, like... I mean, I said, because it was obviously through lockdown. I was on a meeting, it was like... It was the Brighton Breakfast Club. It was through a mate of mine who was a recovery coach. And then... I just remember thinking, all these people are getting it, and I'm not getting it. Right. And I need to get it. And if I don't get it, I'm going to die. Because everyone's telling me I'm going to die. That's what they tell you, yeah. And I... I was petrified, David. I was just like, why can't I get this? Mm. Why can't... You know, and it, it's almost like... It's fear-based, almost. It's, it's like you're driven into this... If you don't do this... Mm-hmm. I'm like... But my mind is, is, is off elsewhere. And I'm... It was scary. I didn't... It was really uncomfortable. Bloody scary. Because I didn't understand it and I didn't, I didn't get it. And I was I was petrified for my life because I would have done I would have done anything 
to get well. Well, you know, sitting in a meeting like that, while you don't get it, that shows willingness, it shows commitment, but uh, it doesn't mean you're going to benefit. It just means that you're going to try. It's almost like, right, you, you, you know, people say, right, go to AA, go to CA. I did CA because AA was like, you can't even mention anything other than alcohol. It's like some sort of yeah. hierarchy of, oh, well, we're alcoholics, mm. you can't do drugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Drugs snobber. I remember getting, yeah, I remember getting told off in an AA meeting because I mentioned cocaine and I was like, yeah. addiction's addiction. Yeah. Doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Um, anyway. And I just remember being in the meetings and just going, I feel like I'm being railroaded. And it's like, yeah, if you don't do this, mm. you're not going to get well. You're not going to. And, and I remember being desperate. I remember, I remember feeling, what's the point? I'm never, I'm never going to crack this because I don't get this. Mm. You know, they're boring me. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And I'm just like, what's the point? Mm. And then you think, well, I might as well just be the addict that everyone thinks I am. You know? You almost like uh, think, well, I might as well, you know, be hung for a sheep as a lamb and all that kind of stuff. And You just think, what's the point with trying hard? Yeah. You know, because you've let everyone down, you've fallen out with people. Yeah. You're trying to make things better. Mm. And then there comes a point where you just go... So did you go to, after your Oxford experience, did you uh, try anything else? Did you go anywhere else? Yeah, so I went into a rehab in Northwich. Um, and I was a month in there. And again, it was great. I did all the work. I did, you know... Was this a CBT type of place, a psychological, or was it a 12-step type of place? Bit of, no, it wasn't really 12 steps. No. Um, it was a bit of both. Mm. Um, and I chose it because it was close to the children so the kids could come and visit me. And then lockdown happened the first week I went in there. Mm. So I was devastated. Um, and again, it didn't work. It cost a fortune. Mm. I was back in there two weeks later. Um, worked with a really, really good guy. I don't Mike Delaney, I don't mm. know. Yeah, so I worked with Mike. Um, so it's almost like gets like a revolving door. But again, it's, it's, it was just there was, there was nothing was changing. Mm. Nothing was, and that's, this is why the work we've done is is it's it's simple, but it's it's completely different. And you know, you go in on that rehab. I mean, I've thrown thousands at it, mm. hundreds of thousands of pounds. Mm. You know, Delamere cost me twenty eight grand. Mm-hmm. I was in there for a month. I've never been fitter. I went to the gym every day. Mm. You know, I benched my record in there, 13 stone. <laughs> <laughs> That's an achievement. Yeah, yeah. It's an expensive achievement. It cost me 28 grand to do it. Um, but I just, I just think it was, you know, I think with places like that, it's like, okay, if I just go and... It's a bit like AA. Mm. If I go on a meeting, I'm going to be better. If I go in, if I go in rehab, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be well. It's it's one of the reasons why I call this alternative yeah. to rehab, is because I think you go back, you don't have to go back that far before there was really no choice. If you struggled in this way, you went there, you know. And the idea that we've now got some alternative, I think, is. But you're not changing your thinking. No. 
Well, I'm not changing my thinking, sorry. So, so I go to rehab. Mm. Fine, great. I mean, I remember going into rehab. I remember being in Oxford, and my, my first week, I was like, what have you got there? I was hating everyone up for, like, their painkillers and mm. some mazipans. <laughs> you know, I was having a one-man party. Because mm. I'm not changing my thinking. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm in there going, like, if I'm just sitting here for two months, I'm going to come out and everything's going to be okay. Right, almost ticking a box. Yeah. And what's different now is I'm realising my, think- my thinking is completely different. Mm. You know, it's like... It's just, like I say, when the cogs and the switches and mm. the rewiring and it's mm. simple things, but it, it makes such a huge difference. So what, what would you say was different about the, this approach? Um, exactly that. It, it's, I'm making the decisions. The captain, mm-hmm. if you like, yeah. as you always say. It's, like I went out for dinner with Danielle the other night. We shared a bottle of wine. Mm. No problem. Mm. You know. But when I was getting up at 6am, drinking vodka, taking ketamine, taking cocaine, Mm. by 8 o'clock I was wasted because I couldn't cope with the day. My thinking now is... I don't know. It's it's a strange one because it's been a slow process. Mm -hmm. You know, we've worked together for like, what, a year? Um... And it's changed my life. You know, it's changed my outlook on life. I feel, like I told you, you know, I walk down the road and buy sausages for the dog from the chippy today, from mm. the builders. Mm. And it's the, the smallest things in life can bring you so much pleasure. Whereas for years I was like, I need this car. I need that watch. I need to do this. I need to stay in this hotel. None of it matters. My, my thinking now is... Mm. And for me, it's it's about being comfortable with myself. Yes. Where I think I mentioned this to you before, I was I could never sit with myself. Even prior to all these issues that have gone on, I could never just sit with myself in a room and go read a book, write a letter, whatever it is, watch a TV. I could never do that. It sounds like the simplest thing in the world, doesn't it? Mm. But money can't buy it. No. You know, if you're not comfortable with yourself and if you haven't accepted who you are and what you are, then there's, n- there's nothing you can do. That's exactly... I, I mean, it is... I was, I was thinking about this literally this morning. It's, you know... I think I told you, you know, where I live. I've got a great neighbourhood. I know mm. everyone. I mm. chat to everyone. Yeah. I'm like, I love that about myself. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have done that a year ago. I couldn't have given myself acceptance and gone, do you know what, Dave? You're all right. Mm. You're a decent lad. Mm -hmm. You know, you're friends with everyone. You know, I couldn't have done that. I I wouldn't have accepted that. And now I can. You know, I mean, the drugs partly used to give me, I I used to take for confidence. Yes. And I don't need that anymore. Mm. So the idea of whatever rehab you were in, whatever meetings you were in, is very much you can't take anything, you can't, any, nothing mood-altering, you know, it's all bad for you, it all leads back to the same place. Mm. Whereas what we are doing is saying we've got to remove the fear. Yeah. 
we've got to say, let's get interested, let's get curious about what's going on. Uh, because you're not in a rehab, you're not in a residential, you're already at home. We don't need to send you home. All right, so whatever happens, we can keep learning. And it is a radical approach. It is a, you know, it's not for the faint-hearted. It's um, it's amazing because it, it makes you, which made me um, look at myself and go, you know, I've hated myself most of my life. You know, no confidence, blah, blah, blah. Like I say, on paper, everyone thinks, oh, he's day, life and soul of the party. Yes. Like, he's, yes. You'll like that. He's great. Yeah. Last first man in the pub, last man out. He's always getting a drink, you know, blah blah blah. Mm. And it's when you strip all that bullshit away and you actually start to look at yourself. Mm. And there's still, I always say this to you, there's always there's always part of it, it's like, I don't want to be a big head. I'm, 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 I'm really I'm liking myself at the moment. There's also a nervousness right. or a tendency to, to withdraw, but it's it's getting easier. It's getting better that I'm going, do you know what? Yes. You're doing all right, mate. You know, you're a good lad. Yeah. Um, and that's a nice feeling, mate. That's mm. a re- For the first time in a long time to have that, you know, mm. walk down the street and just say hello, everyone. And, mm. you know, the sun's shining. It's a nice day. Take my girlfriend out for dinner mm. and enjoy it. It's no sort of... Because it's, it's tiring to beat yourself up mm. constantly and you're not worthy and the self-talk, let's get some drugs, you know, it's, it's tiring. Mm. So I've learned a lot in this last year and it's good, it's a really nice feeling. It's a nice feeling to just, just be content and just be okay. So what do you think has been the biggest challenge over the last year? If you were to write it down in order, what, what would you say is the, most, the hardest thing that you've had to deal with or had to do? Um, access to my children. Um, Coping with the reality of the situation. Yes, mm-hmm. that's been really tough. Cause, and I, I understand why my ex is hesitant. Um, Facing consequences. Yes, mm. And not kicking off because that's what I used to do: shout and rage, and and I'm not doing that anymore. Mm. Um, that's the toughest thing. I have no desire to use. But learning about that part of you that kicks off when he doesn't get his own way. But that part, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. <laughs> um, that part served me so well. Yeah. All my, all my life. Th- this is such a fascinating thing. You see, we always include this, is that when we're looking at parts like that, we, we don't rush in and say, right, we've got to remove that or deal with that. We say, uh, what's our relationship with? I remember you saying this. I remember you acknowledging him, and it was because like, you're almost like, oh, shit, I've done it again. I've kicked up, you know? Yes. But I... for the paper, the, you know, for, for the tape, my inner Liam, I, I don't know where I'd be without him. Mm, exactly. You know, from a kid, you know, I, 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 like I said, I brought myself up. Mm. You know, if anyone, hit, I was, I'm always of the opinion. My, my ethos was, if someone hits me, yeah, I'm going to win back twice as hard. Yes. You know, I'm, a, I was a fighter. I was always fighting. That part of you helped you survive. Yeah. What you had to go through, and so this is, you know, if we don't acknowledge this, 
then we don't get to the grieving and the bereavement. But, but that's that. that's the difference because it's almost like all my life I'm supposed to be ashamed of that part. Right. You know, I'm not, I can't acknowledge, oh, God, he's kicked off again. Don't acknowledge it. Yeah. You know, and the difference is with what we've done, we're going, all right, well, Liam's, he's helped you. Mm-hmm. And, he's and that's the di- and that's I mean it's it sounds so simple it's really that difficult to get your head around well I found it really difficult um, but it's it's a revelation for me yeah it's it's changed my life because it's creating a harmonised self instead mm. of a conflicted self that's yeah. our aim so we're accepting that Liam's in the car we just don't want him in the driving seat <laughs> oh God no right? <laughs> but he's but he's in the car right? yeah he's part of you. Yeah, that took me a long time to get my head As you remember, it took me mm-hmm. quite a while to get my head around that. Yeah, well, but when I did, it just kind of, just like like I said, the switch just went... It's not an one easy day. idea. And it was like, on paper, it's so easy, it's so simple. Mm. It appears to me, but um, because he's been in control for a long time, mm-hmm. a long time, Yeah, you know, I think about... All through my career, when I was freelance, when I was growing up, you know. And he gets things done. Oh, he doesn't he do mess about. Yes. <laughs> he doesn't mess about, man. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a point where you can now recognise where his ideas and the way that he emerges and expresses himself stopped helping. Yeah, I mean, he's not been around for a while, though. Well, he trusts you. Yeah. He <laughs> Which trusts is, you, now. you know, and I used to miss him when he wasn't about. Yeah, exactly. But now I'm all right. I know he's there. Yeah. This sounds quite surreal, talking about myself in the third person almost. Well, but... that's what's difficult about the approach, is understanding the neuroscience behind it. But it all makes sense now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can miss him, but he's there. And, I, you know, I can say hello and... That, yeah, because our understanding is that he has now trusted you and he's now gone back to his proper job. Because these parts are all there to protect us. Mm. They're all necessary things. But when we abdicate our position as captain, they step forward and try and run the show because somebody's got to do it. And so they take over. Yeah, I mean, that's... And for me, that, that is, um, that's been a game changer. I feel more in control of my life. Of course. You know, I wake up every day, I've got my routine, Mm -hmm. you know, I take my vitamins, I take my greens, walk my dog, whatever it is. It just feels a calmer, more, I just feel so much in control. Whereas my my, my life has been out of control. Well, you you are more in control because you're trusted to be in control. The parts are no longer reaching forward and grabbing the steering wheel every five minutes. And that's an achievement. You know, that, that's something that, you, you know, it, it speaks to your commitment. Uh, it speaks to your frustration as well. You know, you tried so many things. But it speaks to your intelligence and your experience at saying, I've got to give this a try. I've got to, I've got to understand this. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, and it, it feels very different now. I mean, there was a, a stage like when it was rehab or whatever, mental health, there was a desperation. Mm. You know, if you'd said, jump out of that window yeah. and you'll be well, 
A to ne. Give it a try. I, I would have done it. Do you know, it's, it, it, was, it's, it was almost at that level. Yeah. You know, it was like, set your hair on fire, Dave, and you'll mm. be, I guarantee you'll be better. You, cause you, you're just desperate. You're in yeah. absolute desperation. Yes. Your life's in turmoil. It's chaotic. And now, you know, my life's so much calmer. I'm so much calmer. Well, you've shifted from desperately wanting a quick fix to looking at things as a journey and saying, I'm on a learning journey, mm. right? And I think that's one of the big changes, is to say, we need to learn from everything. Well, I always wanted everything quickly, didn't I, as well? Well, that's, that's... typical of the, uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's the issue. Yeah. And our parts particularly want things now because they only know now. So there's no real patience involved. Mm. And it's getting somebody back in the driving seat long enough so that we can take that view the longer view because recovery is always the longer tougher route it's never the quick fix no and that yeah that's took me a long time to get my head around as well like I say you go into rehab you think I'll do a month in it I'll be fine Mm -hmm. and you expect to come out and happy days everyone's okay and everyone forgives you and yes you're fixed and it's it's not it's a life that's the medical idea so it, life's work, isn't it? it it's it, it's a journey, and uh, you know, if, if the journey is the destination, then you're already there when you start the journey, mm. because that's you know the idea that the the very medical idea that you've got uh, a condition or an illness and we can cure it, you know that's quite a medical idea, but you know I've always known you know even years ago when I first got introduced to ideas of recovery and stuff, I always knew that the medical definition of recovery wasn't good enough. If, if you look at a medical definition, it's a restoring back to your initial health. Yeah. You know, if you recover from something, you're, you're kind of where you were, you know, obviously before you caught it. So, but if you talk to people in recovery, if you, if you listen to yourself now, talking about recovery, everybody tells you that it's much more than that. Yeah. So it's clearly not adequate. You know, when somebody recovers, they are more than they were before. Would you agree with that? Or? Definitely, yeah. I Like I said, I feel like, um, I mean, because you don't, I always use this analogy, but it's like, you know, so Danielle says to me, you're doing amazing. Yeah. When I first met you, yeah. what, 12 months ago, mm. you know, I was in, crying every night, I was mm. missing my kids, I was angry, blah, blah. And it's a bit like, you know, you bump into an old friend and they say, oh, you've lost weight, mm. but you don't see it yourself. Because you see it every you, day. Because every day. Yeah. And um, yes, it's exactly like that. And she, she says to me, so mm. she knows when I started working with you, she's like, I, the difference in you, David, is, is massive. And I don't see it. And I, I, wish, I wish I could. I know, but she sees it. But I, I know it because I feel different and I'm... I'm not kicking off at the things I used to kick off. I've not got the urges I used to have. Yeah. So I noticed the changes, but yeah. not to the extent that, you know, my nearest and dearest do. Well, it, look, there's no better evidence. I, I'm, I always say this, you know, that there is no better evidence than what other people say. You know, when somebody who cares about you sees that difference, you know, they're not making it up. Mm. You know, and they're looking at us, you know, even in ways and at times when we don't think they are. 
they're noticing things that you're not noticing, you know? And it's not easy to sit there and reflect yourself on, like, am I reacting differently to this or to that, you know? Uh, but eventually you get it. You mm. realise things have changed. And it's, it's a nice feeling as well to, you know, to not have that... I always think it's like my life's been a battle, almost. With it feels my, like a battle. Yeah, mm. you know, with my health, my mental health and the urges and... It's just nice just to go, do you know what? Let's go for dinner, mm. have a glass of wine, mm. go to a cup of tea when we get in. Just, it's 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 been a battle, mm. it feels like. I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of that, those parts driving my life. And what an amazing thing to think that the answer was to stop fighting. Yeah. You know, to, to say, the more I fight with this thing, the worse it gets. Mm. Now, I think that is that is one of the biggest uh, ideas that neuroscience brings, is that you've got a mind, you've got a brain, and your mind is just a small part of your brain. So if you start fighting with your brain, guess who's going to win? Mm. You know? How many times have you tried so hard, you know? But it's, it's interesting, because I was, like, I was, like I said, I was chatting to a friend yesterday, I was in real, and it was... He was saying, you know, I said, are you still on the meetings? And I said, no, I don't do them anymore. And he's like, well, what are you doing? So I was telling him about our work. And I said, um, and I always feel really conscious because I'm like, you know, there's little Dave and then there's inner Liam and mm. blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, I get that. Yeah. People get it. And that's what I'm really surprised about. I'm like, because I feel quite, not ashamed, <laughs> but almost like. No, but it is. Uh, you see, I've been, t- I've. I have never met anybody in, in... I've been doing this now in this way probably for four or five years. I have never explained this to anybody who hasn't got it. Mm. Because our confidence is that neuroscience is proving it. So it's not just some, something... But, you look, but you, you're like, oh, am I really going to say it? Little Dave yeah. is having a problem, a battle with Big Liam. Big Liam. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah I get that. Yeah, I get that. Why? Because... To be honest, in rehabs and, and in the approach, even though we were only working from observation, that's all we had, we, we were talking about parts years ago. We've, we, you know, It's just we didn't have this understanding. We would talk about things like King Baby and my inner addict and all that kind of stuff. We would always talk about because he knew it was the... Is it like the chimp paradox and all that kind it, of... It, well, that's, that's, well, uh, that's also benefited yeah. from the neuroscience research, is the idea that we have it within us... Uh, a part of our brain which is called the prehistoric brain. This is where the chimp thing comes from, yeah. right? It's the idea that it's incredibly basic, but it's trying to protect you. It's not trying to screw your life up, but it just doesn't Well, have that's very the good difference, ideas. isn't it? That's the difference. You know, when Liam pops up, it's like, oh, it's a bad thing. No, it's actually a good thing. Yeah, he's trying to help. Yeah. Right? But he's giving you the best he's got. But the best he's got doesn't always help. Mm. That's the problem, right? So he needs to trust you to handle a situation instead of thinking, oh, I've got to take over here. Everybody sit down. I'll do. I'll deal with this. You know, that's what he does. I wish I'd known this years ago. Well, mate. they're all, <laughs> you know, they're all certain, these parts. They, they, there's no discussion involved. Mm. There's no open-mindedness. They know what needs to happen, and it needs to happen now. You know? Now, we always knew this, but we just didn't know how to really work with it. We, we still talked in terms of, um, you know, fighting these things and, and overpowering them in some way, not realising that uh, 
you know, in a lot of ways, we were taking people into a battle they were going to lose. Yeah. Because the harder you, your brain does not like to be pushed around. And that's the thing. I think for so many years, I've fought it and fought it and fought it and fought it. You know, when he pops up, it's like fight, fight, fight. Oh, yeah. I can't do this. And then regret, yeah. fight, regret. And it's just to and fro. And now it's just like mm-hmm. a bit more chilled and a bit, you know, because yeah. the brains took over. Well, every, every time we get to a point where, you know, at one time he would have taken over, but then he doesn't. He trusts you. You deal with the situation. What happens? Your brain registers this. It's always watching. And it, it realises, actually, that didn't kill you. Mm. Because that's the belief. Your brain's thinking, this is life-threatening. I've got to take over. So when you go through that situation and your brain goes, hang on, that, he didn't die. Oh, well, now we can reduce the risk level. You understand? Mm. So it doesn't, it's not like, uh, you know, DEFCON 5 or something when it happens. And the more you do that, the more your brain realises you can be trusted, you can be trusted, you can be trusted. And that's what's happening. Yeah, I mean, like we spoke over the weeks, haven't we? And I mean, week on week, it's getting easier and better. And it just continues to You're grow. You're just trusted with more and more. Yeah. And it redefines, in a way, how we understand successful people. You know, it, you know, we can now look at somebody who's really successful and think, well, they're just in the driving seat more often. They're just making better decisions because they're trusted more. Mm. So it kind of redefines the way we look at the human condition, which is just endlessly fascinating to me, you know. No, definitely, yeah. I, I work with all kinds of people. Um, I mean, some are more difficult than others. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> I'm just saying. I've worked with... I mean, I've worked with Liverpool supporters. Oh, there you go then. I mean, Say them all. <laughs> Everton supporters, they're not too bad. But, you know... Got a sense of humour, Everton. You've got to have you to be an Everton fan. But a City supporter... <laughs> oh, come on. Don't I mean, be like that. That was... You know, that was a real challenge. <laughs> it has been a real challenge. I mean, the, you know... I'm glad I could uh, accommodate... Every week it's like another trophy they've won. Oh, you know. You know, they're 20 points ahead in the league or something. Only one at thing. the moment, but there you go. It's just annoying, basically. <sighs> but it's it's one of the consequences of living in Manchester, you know. I have to deal with these Well, we things. couldn't be shit forever, could we? <laughs> <laughs> it was getting... I remember when... It, it was getting boring. Yeah. No, yeah. everybody will acknowledge, I think, what a fantastic job they've done. Oh, amazing. It's it's. But don't forget, I used to go when second division. I, I used know. to go. I remember it well. Oh, I hated it. <laughs> and also, used to go to went to Port Vale away. Oh. So we went me and my mate, <laughs> and uh, we were losing, obviously. Obviously. And the British paraplegic team came out at half time to do a display. <laughs> scene. it's going to go badly, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, City fans start singing, "Are you City in disguise?" <laughs> Oh Don't give it him on his left. He's rubbish. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. So yeah, been there, done that. Yeah, you paid your dues. Yeah. So what do you see now when you look at your future? How do you how do you see that now for yourself? Um. Nice. I'm 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 excited about it. I'm kind of you know I just want to spend more time with my children. Be there for my children. Because, like I say, I mean, I had three failed suicide attempts. Mm. Um, and the thought of leaving my kids to grow up 
with a father who committed suicide, mm. yeah, doesn't sit well with me. So the fact that I'm here, yes, and I can be here for my kids, mm. and and the one thing I am now, I mean, I, I don't, I don't get a lot of contact with my kids. It's getting better, but I'm such a more uh, connected father than I was. You know, every minute I'm with my kids mm. is just it's gold for me. Um, I took my daughter out for dinner on Tuesday. <laughs> so, in, so I've been getting into some old music. Like I follow Goldie, you know, drum and bass guy. Yeah. And um, I used to like my drum and bass. So there's a guy called LTJ Bookham. So I was playing LTJ Bookham in the car for her. And she's like, well, what do you think? Because I play music to my kids all the time. Yeah. Music's very important in my life. Yeah, yeah. And I'm playing music. So she went, what do you think of this bell? She went, yeah, I quite like it, Daddy. She went, it sounds like these guys have got uh, bottom issues, though. <laughs> so, like, but every... They're, they're just little... So that, my future is just to work on my relationship with my children. Um, I've got a new lady in my life, Danielle, who's back in my life now, and that's going great. Terrific. So, it's it's just... For me, it's just about... It's not even a day at a time, it's just enjoying mm. life and enjoying, you know, like I said, I took the dog for a walk and I buy him a chippy tea. You know, and the builders are there, they're all making a fuss of him because mm. we're all building on Christie's, aren't they? Ah, uh, yes. So I'll get him a sausages and they love it. And yeah. It's the little things. But you're writing as well. And I'm writing, yeah. And? I want to do, I don't know where that's going to go, to no. be honest, David, but it, it's... I'm going to be in it, though. You're in it. You're going to be in it. I don't know what your title is. I mean, some of the titles have showed you. Let me read you some of them. <laughs> it's just kind of my... Oh, it's not what I've got on my phone. It's kind of my journey through recovery and rehab. Yeah. Um, yes. The people I've met. But I want it to be funny. I want the humour to come through. I mean, one of the stories is yeah. called Father K and the Hard On. So it kind of gives you an idea <laughs> of where we're going. It's kind of toilet humour. It's not yeah. It's not top end, Dave. No. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not. It's not like your blog, it's down here. Well, I'm looking forward to reading it. Yeah, and it's, it's like I say, I started it this morning and it, I was in tears this morning. Yeah. But it, I think it's going to be, I mean, if it, if it goes nowhere, it goes nowhere, but it, it's for me. I think, that, I think that's, when you look at something that you appreciate, when you get good writing, I think it probably always started there, where, where somebody's doing something for themselves and that genuine, that authenticity comes through. Yeah, of course. You know, if you're if you're thinking, oh, what will people like or what do they want to read, I think you're already missing the point. Well, it's a very selfish project for me. Yeah. And if people like it, they like it. If they don't, mm. you know. Absolutely. I'll set, I'll set Liam on them. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been great talking to you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. And thank you so much for doing it. No worries. 